My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. And my guest today is Aoife Donovan-Lee. Aoife is an organizational psychologist and business coach with expertise in the areas of techno-stress, transformational leadership development, and building emotional intelligence. Aoife has over 15 years multinational experience. During her time working for Vodafone and eBay, Aoife gained a wealth of practical experience in leadership, learning and development, plus coaching roles. She has most recently set up her own consultancy business. Aoife's mission is to help leaders create time for the things that matter the most by eliminating unhealthy technology habits. So that is our topic for today, techno stress. So Aoife, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thanks a million, William. Thanks, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. My first podcast. Oh well, that's that's great, uh, and it's a, a first podcast for many uh, people. So, Eva, I actually came across you on LinkedIn because you were doing a webinar on techno stress, and it actually came up in a a previous uh, episode. So, I'm really interested about this topic of techno stress. What is techno stress? If our listeners were to know more about it. Yeah, so um, tech, the term techno stress actually emerged in uh, the research literature around 1984. So it seems like quite a new term to us, but it was actually written about back in 1984 by a leader in techno stress research called Craig Broad. So it was really started to come into our into our awareness when computers began to play an integral part in our lives, in our working lives. And so you can imagine, as you can imagine, the term has expanded today to, to encompass so much more. So really what it means is it's the stress induced by technology. And so given our environment today, people are really feeling it. And so there is a lot of energy around this topic when I present and talk on it. And um, so there are a number of different stressors that can bring on techno stress. I can give you a, a brief outline of them now. Yeah, if you could, that'd be great, Eva. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the, the top two that I hear most about um, are technology overload and technology invasion. So technology overload is that we have so many different applications available to us whereby people can communicate with us, send us different work requests uh, simultaneously. And technology also allows us to multitask. So technology multitasking or task switching is quite unproductive as you can imagine you're trying to focus on one task and then another technology device or a form of communication interrupts you 
And so people can start to feel overloaded because of this. And an uh, um, interesting fact, we as information and communication technology workers are interrupted every three to five minutes. So it's quite a, a, a number of times throughout your working day. And yeah. once you've been interrupted, William, it can take you up to eight minutes to regain your focus on your previous task. So that's that's overload. And, and there's a lot of attention around that. I get asked a lot about that. Um, and what are the, the, um, the consequences of that? Well, it's unproductive. So your productivity is hit. And because people feel like they can't process the, as many of the requests that are coming at them, they feel overloaded and therefore it can lead to job dissatisfaction, um, and uh, it, it, which can lead people then to feel stressed. So it can lead on to work-related stress as well. Invasion is the other one that I'd mentioned. So technology invasion. Um, and that is whereby, because the, of the pervasiveness of technology, we can feel like we are contactable at any time. We're yeah. always on, we're always connected. The work on home life, life um, boundaries are blurred. Mm. Uh, so people can feel that pressure to respond to emails outside of working hours. And this comes up, especially William, when there's no clear informi information and communication and technology or ICT usage policy outlined by the organization or outlined by the individual themselves so they're, yeah, they're so, yeah yeah and it, it's it's like there's so much there that you've just spoken about there because i run personal productivity courses myself you know and for me often uh, you know you talked about that it takes eight minutes to get you know to refocus after an interruption and we're we're probably checking our phones 150 to 200 times a day which is in terms of what, what I remember back in 2005 we were checking our phones 50 times a day which is is, is quadrupled now um, and the other thing is that switching time you know I often um, talk about switching time uh, is if you just focused on one task you know you'd be 25% faster than you would be, you know, if, if, if you know, if you're, if you're instead of multitasking or, or switching between, between different things. And the analogy I tend to use a lot is if you had eight applications open on your computer screen or 20 applications open, your computer would slow down and our brains are, are the same pretty much. So, so that's why we're probably overwhelmed. And in terms of my experience, I have definitely suffered from being overwhelmed due to, to technology. So we talked about overload and invasion, um, Aoife, and you were talking about invasion then, and there wasn't really any clear uh, boundaries there, especially with regard to ICT policies. And I think, you know, what's happening at, at the moment is because of working from home, there's no real legislation for that. And it's really up to the companies themselves, isn't it, to choose a policy in terms of their own um, employees' wellness. Yeah, um, some countries have introduced a right to disconnect legislation and that is due to come into play in Ireland. Um, but it, there's, there's no um, up-to-date <coughs> update on that. Um, but it's all really a right. It is up to the organisation themselves um, and individuals. So what I encourage people to do is if they're not in a position of um, 
authority in terms of policymaking within their organization is to, to bring it up. Um, if it is impacting the culture, if it is impacting mental health and well-being, then it's something that uh, an individual can bring up with their organization and can control themselves as a leader. Um, what I am recommending is that as high up as it can come from the top, that this should be something that's looked at when organizations are looking at their strategy for 2021 and beyond, uh, and organizations are starting to look at their next normal, that ICT usage policy definitely should form part of that. And it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all for the whole organization type of a policy. You can have team charters where each team has their own personalized usage policy because that's what's right for that team. And it's important to get the team involved in the creation of that. So people don't argue with their own data. So if they're part of the creation or the design of that policy, then they're more likely to adhere to it and comply with it and call out others when they're not in compliance with that. So that gives everybody a clear bound, clear boundaries and a clear set of guidelines as to how do we operate as a team in terms of our usage, what's okay and what's not okay. That's a good starting point for organizations and individuals. Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, in terms of that co-creation and people can own that policy themselves and and hold people to account. Because um, a number of years ago when I was first starting out, I was working with a company and people would be put under severe pressure for not replying to an email on Sunday morning at 10.30 you know, and they would be very much admonished in the workplace. And it's caused a huge amount of, of stress. And, um, you know, I had to stop working with that company because for me, ethically, you know, it, it was wrong. And a, a number of years later then after that, around two years later after that, Germany introduced, you know, the, um, the policies then where you couldn't, you didn't, uh, you did the right to disconnect and you couldn't send emails outside of, of business hours, which which I think is is was a great influence in terms of you know um, policies in Ireland as well, and we're starting to think um, in that way. And for me, the impact of that of leaders then that particular company, it was actually a very senior leader had asked me to coach a person, and I, I'm not sure if they really understand what coaching was, <laughs> and they wanted me to coach that person to do sixty hours work. And to work weekends and and uh, and this man knew you know that that uh, employee had a huge amount of um, family struggles at the time, personal health issues and different things like that. Um, so for me, I think there is a leadership aspect uh, to this, isn't there? There's a certain amount of role modeling that needs to be done to say, listen, this is not just lip service. This is not just a policy we're going to push through. We're actually going to live this. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you're you're hundred percent right, William. Um, uh, part of my re- technical stress research that I did as part of my master's program um, last year, I conducted research with a global organisation, and I wanted to identify the presence of the the two top stressors that I hear about, which are already mentioned: the techno stress and um, sorry, beg your pardon, techno uh, invasion and technology overload wanted to identify the presence of those. And I also wanted to identify what are the coping strategies that employees within this organization um, employ to mitigate those 
two types of stressors in order to diminish or eliminate techno stress. And so what I found was one of the main findings that came through was that although individual contributors uh, within the participant sample, they didn't hear from their managers ever that they should reply to emails outside of working hours. And although the managers might say that is not required, employees would feel uh, an inner obligation to check all outside of working hours, to reply. They felt that pressure. And what came out from those conversations, William, was that the managers weren't behaving in the way that they were saying to employees not to behave. So, for example, they were sending emails at the weekend. They were sending emails at night. And so the individual contributors were watching this and saying to themselves, is is this okay? Is it not okay? So again, it came back to no clear definition of policy. But as you have have outlined, William, it's it's not just about outlining the policy. It's about behaving um, and making this the the cultural cultural norm as to how we behave as an organization in relation to our ICT usage. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a bit like you know the manager you know being the role model it's it's you know yeah. you're you're walking the talk really isn't it and it's a bit like that old example that you know um you can leave early but i'm staying late and i'm showing everybody i'm staying late and that's what i really liked about you know uh joe biden getting elected and this letter going around to say listen I do not expect you to miss any family occasions. Family is really important to me. Your personal life is really important to me. And and actually, I'd be disappointed if I see you working late or, you know, not disconnecting. So I think there is a real um, uh, focus on leadership here to lead out in this new cultural norm of that right to disconnect. So what are, are the other findings that our listeners might find important? Yeah. Um, so the other findings uh, were that there was for sure a presence of overload um, amongst the participant samples. So people did feel that when they have set out their priorities for the day, if they get a request from a senior manager, their task list for the day goes out the window. And so the the, the request that comes through takes priority. Um, and because of technology, it's instant. It's an instant request that comes to you. And so you open up that email, you open up that request through the use of technology and you feel a pressure then that that, that has to take um, that has to take over your day. So there was that was showing up quite a lot. Um, and just the, the, the being able to multitask as well. So now I, I, I know from remote working myself that um, when you are invited to a video conference, uh, a Zoom call, you have a lot of other business as usual work that needs to get done, but yet you want to give your attention to the meeting. And so through my own experience and through market research with leaders in tech tech organizations and multinationals, what they're saying is that we still have the same workload, but there seems to be a lot more, seems to be a lot more meetings because of the efficiency of technology. It allows us to fit in more meetings, fit in more requests and send more requests. But we're still the same resource. We don't have any extra resources. So we're being asked to do more with less. And so people feel pressured to multitask during those meetings. So 
what I would suggest is and what I've heard has worked in in certain organizations is that to allow employees to have a certain blackout period each day where that's their own time to focus on their business as usual work. And some have challenged that and said, that's not going to work for our organization. Uh, We still have to get these priorities done. Then I would challenge them on that. How can we make this work? Because pushing people to the point of burnout is obviously not sustainable. This way of working is really pushing people to their limits and it's hampering productivity, it's decreasing job satisfaction, and it's pushing people to um, job-related stress, to endure job-related stress. So that's where I would challenge organizations, I would challenge leaders on their acceptance of this as the norm. And you, it's, you, you mentioned that blackout period. I've actually used this with an organization I worked with, and they had a lot of software programmers that they kept being interrupted or kept being pulled out to go for meetings. And um, I originally studied electronics, so I, I may not have been great at software programming, but I do know when you're in that coding mind, you have to be in a certain level of focus, deep thought, okay? And I said, listen, you know, we're going to have to create periods, you know, of focus and concentration. And the software engineers loved it. They got more work done in the space of three, four hours than they would in a full day. However, it was the people around them then, you know, that were so used to these habits of, you know, being able to, you know, jump in uh, onto a call or, you know, uh, you know, go to their desk and just ask for an immediate request. So I think we have to be mindful of everybody's needs, the unique needs of the individual, the team needs and the organization needs. And it's a bit of negotiation there, isn't it? Because I remember when I introduced that, there was a lot of pushback, you know, for me and and the software engineers were going to go on, this is brilliant, you know, and then other people are kind of going, who are you anyways, you know, for me in terms of a coach, um, you know, and, and a facilitator. And I was I was just highlighting the research. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, going back to what you'd also mentioned about the Joe Biden letter, um, there are organizations who will say, we want to make sure that you've got that family time and you don't miss those family occasions or linked to that as well as that they'll have a one day a month mental health day where employees get to take a, a break. I know Google do something sim- similar and there's another organization called Iterable who've made that permanent recently. Um, but what it's important for employees um, to understand then, or, or, or for, sorry, for employers to understand rather, is that they need to make sure that that workload that was meant to happen on that mental health day doesn't just get pushed um so it's 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 again pushing people to do more with less time so Mm. if we're saying to people yes we're going to give you a day off a month for your mental health uh for your own mental health and you can use that however you want that they're not stressed or anxious about the whole eight hours of work that they're not getting done so that there's an agreement or alignment with their leader. Uh, how am I going to manage that? Um, so that they're not, that's not creating more anxiety, which is a challenge that I have heard from individual contributors in those circumstances. So it feels like the company's doing a great thing, but it needs to be followed through with how can we manage your workload over this 
one month period so that you're not stressed out when it comes to that day off that's supposed to be relaxing and enjoyable and um, help you. So that's my thought on that. And there's a bit of pushback around the Joe Biden letter. That was, you, you, at first glance, it looks great. But then you've got that challenge of who's going to pick up the slack? Is that an agreement with the leader? <laughs> I know, so. I know. And, and for me, I've had lots of conversations on this. So I do um, organizational design as, as part of my one of my services. And for me, I think, we have an opportunity here, you know, in terms of the challenges that COVID are, are presenting. And I think it really highlights certain processes or workflows just weren't fit for purpose anymore. And for me, I think there's a real opportunity in terms of this great reset then is to relook at how we're working, relook what are the resources there and what's a better way to utilize our time or the people there, you know. So I think it's it's a real opportunity to look at talent. It's a real opportunity to look at, okay, what are the, the barriers here to being productive, you know, and a lot of people are saying this and the people aren't doing the job, but maybe it's the way the system is set up you know, that maybe we need to co-create different ways so there's more value add than, you know, wasting people's times in meetings. Yeah, and there's there's a responsibility as well. There's, there's obviously the responsibility on the, the individual themselves if working for an organisation to cope with their techno-related, technology-related mm. stress. Um, but there is an onus, of course, on the organisation uh, because employees are developing their own coping mechanisms yeah. so they're developing their own strategies that was something else that came through from the findings that people had people gave me a plethora of examples of how they were coping so they might do something like um a, a disconnect day once a week where they blacked out on social media they put the phone in a drawer and they just silenced it they didn't touch it for the day and they just focused on their family time but what I found, William, was that most people didn't have a real purpose for switching off technology. So okay. what I found was that if they hadn't identified their why for doing that, they were less likely to follow through. So there was a lot of passive language around the coping strategies. Well, I tried to do this. And yeah. I tried to not look at my work email, but I tend to go in on a Sunday to see what's happening on a Monday. So there's that kind of passive language around it. When you hear that, you say, yeah. have a real driving why. That's what I work with people on is, is getting to their root why as yeah. to why they want to break this unhealthy technology habit. And yeah. once you have your why, that's going to give you that fire that you need to push through. You've got your strategy in place. You've got your why. And that is going to help you um, a, a lot more than just trying to base it on motivation or willpower because yeah. I'm sure you've seen in your own work that that just doesn't work across so many different areas in coaching you know yourself it's it's all about the why isn't it yeah and it's really about finding out well what is that the purpose so what's the purpose you're actually on for example uh you know social media or why is it that you're you're reaching for your phone you know and like for me I think um, and I suffered a little bit from this and I, and I noticed the impacts was, you know, is I wanted to stay maybe in control or on top of things or I wanted to know what was going on in the world. And then I realized that, you know, uh, my son at the dinner table was talking to me and I couldn't hear him, 
you know so there's this huge amount of disruptions there and impacts isn't there in terms of family life or or even relationships of not listening or for me i'm very conscious now as a father to role model good manners behavior and facial expressions and you know conversation and, and different things like that and it has a huge impact on the workplace doesn't it or at the family life absolutely um well because we're because of remote working we are working from lots of rooms in our home so we might work from the couch we might work from the kitchen table and so what happens then William is you're surrounded by these cues to work yeah so you're sitting at the kitchen table and if you've been working there that day you're you automatically your brain craves um uh, to look at your email potentially because that's it's a reminder sitting at kitchen table cue work um, so I, uh, I speak about this with with clients. I use James Clear's research. So James Clear is author of Atomic Habits. And what James talks about is the habit loop. So this is um, the four step. There's a four step pattern. It's the backbone of every habit that your brain runs through um, in these four steps in the same order each time. So it's cue, craving, response. And reward. So first is the cue. So the cue is um, what the, the the piece of information that your brain sees, and so it's a visual that initiates a behavior. So, for example, a cue might be your phone buzzing with a text message, and then you automatically crave. So your your craving is the motivational force behind any habit, and so you crave the change in internal states. So it's that dopamine hit that you're looking for. Yeah satisfaction from seeing the message you want to read the contents of the message and then you respond so your response is the actual habit that you perform in this example it's you grab your phone uh, and then the the rewards so your response delivers a reward the reward is the end goal of every habit it's at least for a moment it delivers contentment and it's a relief from craving so in this example you satisfy your craving to read the message and grabbing your phone becomes associated with your phone buzzing so what Clear recommends is dividing your, your home into activity zones. So for example, the office is for work. The bedroom is for sleeping. The kitchen is the kitchen. The kitchen table is for eating. The couch is for relaxing. Now, if you have limited space, if you're living in a smaller environment, you can divide your room into activity zones. Yeah. Well, you can say if you generally work from your kitchen table, then you can say one seat at the kitchen table is for work. Mm. My armchair is for personal reading. Yeah. Uh, the seat at the kitchen table is for eating. And so you're creating or designing your environment to um, create great habits, better habits and to break the, the bad habits. And, you know, and even the cue, what I've noticed is you would say there might be, um, you know, a lot of young people that might be, you know, um, in small bedrooms, you know, if they're in rented accommodation or whatever. And uh, for me, and I, I would use um, a, a similar um, habit loop from Charles Duhigg. So I think he inspired uh, James Clear there. Um, and again, in terms of this, the cue is actually even just putting, you know, a blanket over your workspace you know, there or a sheet or something like that, just to remove that cue. These are little tricks uh, that work. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's like like what you said. Clear has just what he's done is just gathered all of the research that's already out there and just packaged yeah. it into a, a, a nice yeah. way for 
for people an easy to understand way. But what he says is small tweaks lead to remarkable changes. So he says mm. you can transform your life just by starting small. So these really small changes can start to retrain your brain in terms of how you can design your environment. It's all about designing your environment. There's another great book on similar um, called Willpower Doesn't Work. And it's by a guy called Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And he talks about not relying on willpower. So how do we do that? We create systems and we design our environment. We're the architects of our environment. So it's very similar teaching between the two the two guys. Yeah, and, and I, I'm a fan of James Clear as well. And one of the things that I did was a little thing, which was a pattern interrupt here, is, is that I used to, um, you know, and a lot of people do this, is charge their phone by their bedside yeah. and what I've done now is started you know changing that where you know I, I've started um charging in the hallway mm. and again it turns out when I come home then I'm able to put it on the hallway stand and it's there so you know if I really want to check my phone in terms of whatsapp it can go out there but also what I noticed is is the reward of stopping that craving is I ended up in one year alone reading 33 books I was like, that was amazing. And it just shows you the time is is that we have to take ownership for our own habits as well. And sometimes we can blame the workplace for techno stress or whatever, but we need to, you know, take ownership for our own habits, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, we, we've become so mindless with our technology use. Uh, so I use a perfect example where people wake upon waking up in the morning, turn their alarm off if they use their phone for their alarm and they instantly without thinking too much about it, go into the news or Twitter, one of their social media feeds. And because they crave that wanting to know what's happened overnight. Yeah. Uh, And that scrolling can go on for 20, 30 minutes or more. So what I do when I work with clients is I get them to think about their why. Uh, what, What do they want to achieve from their life? So for example, William, yes, I want to read more. Well, why is it that you want to read more? And I get them to really get to that that root why and then think about the amount of time that they're spending, even in that that habit, that habit of scrolling in the morning. If we take a conservative view of 20 minutes, uh, we work it out that it's it's 112 hours over a year. So Mm. how many books could you read or how much of that online course could you get completed with 112 hours? That's just one habit. And how much would you achieve over a one year period if you were just to change that that one habit? And I talked to them then about how to break their habit, how to create a great habit and how to mm. break habit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important work because, you know, a lot of people might feel unfulfilled uh, in their lives and might have that work life balance. So this could 20 minutes could be exercise or it could be preparing your lunch for healthy eating or, you know, there's loads of different habits that we have and we need to figure out what are unhealthy habits and what are healthy habits, you know, and, you know, techno stress and our technology habit, I think is a big part of that. Um, And what else would you recommend uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I would say we've just touched on it there. Become aware of, the habits that you're you're currently performing so if it is technology habits that you'd like to get a handle of and and change then what I would recommend is making a a note of your technology habits across a day 
Now there is, there's lots of resources online as to how you could print off a, 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 a template and, and fill it in. A simple way is just to, using technology, use your notes um, in, your, in your device on your phone. Just make a note of any of the habits that you are performing throughout a day. They might be negative, positive or neutral. It doesn't matter. But just any any habits that you are performing throughout a day. So you might wake up and you make a note that you've checked the news. You're brushing your teeth. You check your email. You sit down at the kitchen table to have your breakfast and you check the news, whatever it is. You're making a note of each habit and then you rate your habits. Uh, is it a positive? Is it a neutral or is it a negative? And then take the negatives and look at what, if I were to change this, would have the biggest impact on my performance. And so to change any habit, the first step is to bring it into your awareness. And then you can look at making or breaking the, the those habits. So that's what I, that's a great starting point for people. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. For me, for example, I really struggled with sleeps, you know, so for example, a child might wake me up at, at night and stuff like that. And, you know, this happens when, you know, you're parents of young children and then, you know, you might see your mobile phone and then you reach for that. And before you know it, then the blue light keeps you awake and different things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the thing is, is that people are maybe using reading as a way to go back to sleep. And then I want to figure out, well, that's what I was doing. Well, that, well maybe I should read a book instead. So I actually started using the Kindle then at night because it doesn't have that blue light and then my my sleep quality improved and then I wasn't getting stressed by hearing what Trump did or uh, Boris <laughs> did or 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 whatever you know or reading that email maybe that it upset you in the middle of the night where you're going to go what did I do that for and I think these are all things that we we do don't we we just need to be honest about them and we need to be honest with ourselves in terms of that self-awareness you know and uh, it, it comes back to those cues as well. If you are having trouble sleeping and that is a habit to reach for the phone, and you know you're going to be awake scrolling for the next hour. Why not get up and make yourself a, a cup of warm milk and do something like read out of the bedroom? And um, so make sure that your, your bedroom is that zone for sleeping so that you're automatically going to feel that cue when you come back into the bedroom, when you get back into the bed. Oh, bed is only a, a place for sleeping. This is only the place where I should be when I'm tired. So wait until you get tired, but that should be, yeah, absolutely outside of, of the room uh, and then come back in when you're feeling tired and, and allow yourself to, to go to go to sleep. But yes, there, there's so much noise going on in the world outside with the news and um, with COVID and so many um, people trying to grab our attention for different things online. Uh, and telling us what to do and how to behave and it, it can be easy to feel like technology is one of those things that's that's mindless and out of our control but it's certainly not and it's definitely something that you can get a handle of and like we've mentioned when you have that time back you can do such great things with that time so people feel like at the moment they don't have enough time but if you really were honest about your habits and really bringing your awareness to how you're spending your time on technology, you definitely will find pockets of time whereby you could be using them more efficiently. 
And I think, you know, for me, you know, I was really interested in this uh, subject around a year and a half ago because I felt it really had to make a difference in my life. Um, and, and what I, I started doing was um, I started using a flip phone at the weekends and when I'm disconnecting, you know, so I have a Nokia flip phone and the only application that it has is actually WhatsApp, you know, so you can't really be in a WhatsApp the whole time, you know, um, you know, and I have a Casio watch now. So I got rid of my Fitbit, you know, there's different things, the way that I, I realized then that I was actually, you talked about that invasion piece, you know, that where it, there's different ways to do that. And for me, then I, I started to notice myself really calmer and it's about being more mindful, isn't it? Um, and, and then I, I, I you know, I, I started reaching for my, my phone, but because I wasn't getting the reward of being able to go onto Twitter or the Irish Times or whatever, actually the habit started stopping because I wasn't getting that craving anymore. So it was a bit like, you know, I'm still having the technology that I need to read the time or to take a phone call, yeah. but it reduced my, my craving. And then, you know, the re reward then for me was it was a lot more present for my children or my wife or, or even my own mental health started to improve. And so that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? Is look at the little things that you do, the little differences James Clear was making to set up those structures and systems around yourself. Yeah, you've you've some great examples there. You've really gone for it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh well, you know, I think I think if you're in a bad place, you've no choice. And for me, you know, this podcast is all about being authentic and showing the the differences, the little differences that can make a big impact. You know, and it's also known that the little things that you're doing are probably making a big impact as well. So a lot of people might say, "Listen, use my smartphone. Sure, sure. What's the harm?" And then you're realizing actually it's reducing your productivity, it's reducing your your focus, you know, and it's creating an impact in terms of even facial expressions and the ability to communicate with people. I'm, I'm a mediator as well. Um, I've lots lots of different hats, and and sometimes we're 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 seeing uh, miscues or mis misreading a facial expression due to technology, you know. And I think this is going to be a bigger challenge as the years progress. You, have you heard of are you doing any research on that in terms of um, the different skills that are required of you now as a coach to coach over virtual versus uh, face to face? What are what are you noticing things that you're you're doing or is there research out there that you're aware of? I, I think it's early days yet. There is research going into it, you know, and I think there wasn't a whole lot of research done because it was pretty much limited and it was only for example in certain cultures you know that people would have to travel long distances to see their coach so for example in America you know um coaching over the telephone or um via zoom or uh, or skype was actually very popular where that wouldn't be really done in in Ireland so much you know because we're a smaller country um but I do think you know in terms for me I find it easier some ways to coach um, via Zoom because we're really focused on, you know, people's facial expressions, you know, and provided that it's well lit and, and people can see me, I, th I think it's, it's a wonderful platform and it's very focused as well. And would you believe I'm getting a lot more coaching requests now? So um, if people have more time to be reflective and really are looking to make 
uh, change. So for me, I think it is that great, great reset that, that COVID has presented. People are re-looking at, okay, what are my own personal habits? What are my challenges? What are my work practices? And people are really, really sitting up and paying attention to themselves because I think people are not caught up in this fast-paced piece of trying to catch a train or a bus or whatever, and they're really taking time now to to reflect and to think, and I think it's a good thing. So we talked about habits, and I talked about my own personal habits. And for our listeners then, could you give some tips on terms of making a habit or breaking a habit? What, what would be useful for our listeners to know? Absolutely. So uh, what... Clear talks about in his research through the Atomic Habits book is uh, the four laws of behavior change. And so it's all about, it's linked to the habit loop. So the habit loop that I touched on was the, the four steps or the pattern that your, your brain goes through in the formation of a habit and cue, craving, response, reward. So what you do when you're trying to make a habit is with when you take the cue, it's about making it obvious. So, for example, if you um, are looking to create a habit around reading more, um, you you link that you link that to a cue. So, an obvious location or a time. So, time and location are the most obvious cues. So, um, I'll give you an example. When I wanted to read more when I was on maternity leave, um, my compelling why was because I wanted to start to upskill myself so that I could train um, people on particular topics when I wanted to set up my new business venture when I was finished maternity leave. So that was my driving force. And that was my why. So in in assigning that or or, or linking that to uh, a cue within my within my day, I linked it to the baby's nap time. So anytime they went for a nap, I would look for my have have my Kindle to hand rather. And my my spot for doing that, I'd have the Kindle on the couch. So um, I wanted to make it attractive to myself and make it easy. So um, the the four habits of behavior change are making it obvious, making it attractive, making it easy and making it satisfying. So making it attractive was, that was really linked to my why, um, was that I would learn things. Everything that I learned was bringing me closer to my why and my goal. And I knew that the things that I was learning, I was going to be able to teach people. And that was giving me my, my fire, making it really mm. attractive to read um, making it easy. I'd mentioned leaving the, the Kindle on the on the couch or your book, whatever, leave it in the spot where you know you're going to sit down um, and making it satisfying. So reward yourself. It's very important that when you're doing something uh, good for yourself in terms of habit change or breaking a habit that you're rewarding yourself. So when I'd have a book completed within a certain time, I would buy myself my next book. So I would get myself excited and do a bit of research on what's the next book that I want to, to have um, or to read. So that's that's a perfect example of making a habit. But what I'm also working with clients on is breaking a habit. So you've touched on this yourself, William, in terms of breaking the habit of going to the phone too much. And it's about making it invisible. So your cue to pick up the phone make it invisible at that time. So it's about putting it away in a drawer, putting it in another room, uh, making it unattractive. So think about what is this stopping me from doing? So always bringing yourself back to that unattractiveness of going in and, and fulfilling the habit, fulfilling the bad habit. So what is this stopping me from doing? Um, making it difficult as well. So 
delete the apps, delete the social media apps if that's what you are addicted to. Uh, there are apps out there as well. It's a bit of a misnomer, but there's there's apps. Uh, I'll give you an example of one called Freedom. On some phone, some smartphone software has uh, applications built into, into them to help you to create rules and boundaries around your usage. So they'll block certain apps or you can put certain times within your phone where you don't have access to certain applications within your phone um, and making it unsatisfying. So it's linking it all back to um, your, your rewards as well. So reward yourself when you're doing what you, what you say you'll do. Um, and what I find quite useful is to have an accountability partner. So tell someone, tell as many people as you can about your goal, but in specific, specifically one person who you link in with, whether it's once a week or on a frequent basis to talk to them about what you're doing in terms of breaking your habits. So because I'm now not doing this habit anymore, I'm not um, spending so much time on social media. This is what I'm doing instead. And these are the outcomes that I want to achieve. And it keeps you on track. And once you say that, the more you say that, you know this, William, um, that you're more likely to want to fulfill that. You don't want to make a liar out of yourself to your partner, yeah. your accountability partner. So all of those things combined um, really help people to make and break habits. So the, the four laws of behavior change again are make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. And then to break a habit, you just invert those. So it's make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult and make it unsatisfying. So hopefully that helps the listeners. Very good. Very good. So we're coming to the end of the podcast now, Aoife. Um, and I've learned a lot um, myself as well. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners have too. What are the kind of key takeaways that you might um, give to people? Yeah, so I would say start with bringing your habits into your awareness. And that's simple task of listing them. Identify your why. What's your driving purpose for making or breaking this habit? Make sure you're rewarding yourself at key milestones uh, and design your strategy in a way using the, the laws, the four laws of behavior change. And then finally, just, just implement it, practice and don't berate yourself when you've fallen off the wagon much the negative self-talk and just get back to get back at it the next opportunity that you have so they that'd be they'd be the key takeaways that i'd recommend for listeners Eva, thank you so much for that and if people were to get in contact with you then how might they do so yeah great um they can connect me on linkedin my name is Eva donovan lee uh or they can contact me via email so it's Eva at donovan lee dot world i'd be delighted to talk to anyone who's an interest in any of the topics covered Aoife thank you so much uh, for that and to our listeners thank you so much for tuning into this episode we will talk to you soon that's it for this episode of the workplace podcast my special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion if you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, 
facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.